Hi, I want to welcome you to this episode of JP Mac's Dystopic Journal. So now I want to talk to you about uh, something that I found on Getter because, of course, there's no parlor right now. So I, I have to go to Getter, um, which is fine. And so this is coming from just just news. So John Solomon reports. And so he has this recently in it. And this article is uh, St. Louis judge to appoint special attorney in contempt case against Soros back prosecutor. And so we've had uh, a lot of Soros back prosecutors in the news lately. Not in a good way, particularly if you're a conservative or a libertarian or a Trump supporter or someone who doesn't like to be robbed or killed. Um, so you have Krasner in Philadelphia, you have Bragg, of course, in New York City, um, and now you have, well, not, not now, but Kim, uh, Kimberly Gardner is uh, the latest to um, get the attention of, the, of us, or we conservatives, and... So I'm just going to uh, talk about this now. Um, again, it's a the article is uh, from Justin News, and it's St. Louis judge to appoint special attorney in contempt case against Soros back prosecutor, and of course that prosecutor is uh, Kim Gardner, the aforementioned Kim Gardner. And so I'm just going to read this and uh, make some comments along the way. <clears throat> says, a judge said he will appoint a special prosecutor to create a contempt case against St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner, a progressive prosecutor whose campaigns was supported by campaign was supported by Democratic mega donor George Soros. Judge Michael Noble said late last week that the special prosecutor is being appointed after Gardner and her assistant Christopher DeSellitz uh, did not show up to court for an assault case. So. I, know, I guess they're above such things as showing up for court, um, but that's what they did. Um, the judge also said that evidence suggested the duo were guilty of indirect criminal contempt because DeSillitz did not appear for a trial or later hearing the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported Friday. And so what I'm wondering here is um, if you're, if you have a court date, you have the right to face your accuser. Now in this case, I would say that uh, DeSillitz, um was would have been the accuser standing in for the state or the city um, as the accuser 
and didn't show up and so you have the right to uh, confront your accuser if you did not deny that right then basically that's like the uh, prosecution throwing the case particularly if they don't ask for some extension or anything like that they just show up or don't show up um, they're basically forfeiting the case now it could be oversimplifying this um, as a legal matter but that's as I understand how it works you know if you if you don't show up you have to have a reason or else the case will be dismissed because you have the accused has the right to face their accuser and in this case this person didn't so that's probably why that's a problem with this uh, judge here who's ordering this um, special prosecutor um, so it says uh, it appears that Ms. Gardner has complete indifference and conscious disregard for the judicial process Noble said Noble again being the judge who's calling for the special prosecutor Gardner, who did not appear for the hearing with Noble, sent a deputy, Rob Huck, who was unable to answer many of the judge's questions about the contempt allegations. Michael Downey, Gardner's attorney, was also at the hearing, but he declined to comment afterwards. Wonder why. Uh, Gardner has faced ethical issues for years, but the problems reached a new high earlier this year when Missouri Republican Attorney General Andrew Bailey called for her removal after a man who did not have a driver's license and was accused of violating bond conditions more than a hundred times ended up hitting and severely injuring 16-year-old volleyball player who was visiting St. Louis. Gardner was also hit with new negligence and potential misconduct complaints earlier this month. And so it seems like the idea of these uh, Soros-backed prosecutors, um, the theory that they're operating under is that too many people of minority status, people of color, are being accused of crimes and going to jail for those crimes. And in order to correct for that, they're simply going to uh, prosecute less crimes, and uh, particularly in areas where there's a high or majority uh, minority presence like in many big cities today and so the theory is that you know it's equity that you know in the name of equity because you know white supremacy and blah 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 reasons um, you can't there's too many people of color in jail or being uh, prosecuted for crimes and therefore we're going to do less prosecutions and since most of these prosecutions are of people of color or so they say or so they claim then that evens out things that makes things more equitable 
um, for the people of color. Now the obvious problem with that is what if these people that are being arrested and accused of these crimes actually did them um, then what then what you know you know there's a little bit of disconnect you know if, they, if the you know it's one thing if you're being accused for a crime and you didn't do it or if you're being severely overcharged for a crime uh, particularly when other likely sim, uh, 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 likes uh, people um, are also accused but don't get charged as severely um, then that's a problem but if you're actually doing the crime then you know you know I I can't help it you know no you know um, the you know Trump or whatever Republican they can't help it if a disproportionate number of some minority community is committing crimes or being accused of crimes um, now if they're being accused again of crimes that they didn't commit or they're being overcharged with crimes that's one thing but if if the accuse if the accusations are actually warranted and valid in most cases then then that's a problem um, so, you know then you why why reduce the penalty or reduce the charges just because uh, one community is being overrepresented as opposed to maybe maybe some other community. You know, it shouldn't matter if you really did a crime, if you really stole something, you know, then then there should be no problem uh, pursuing any uh, criminal prosecution with regards to that crime. And so there's a little bit disconnect. The theory is that again since these are happening, I guess, in the inner cities and in large cities. Um, it's unfair somehow, um, but I would suggest, many would suggest, that it's unfair for the victims, like all those people who were victims in the looting, in the 2020 riots, you know, after George Floyd, in the summer of love. Following that that incident. Uh, what about all those innocent people that were hurt, all the store owners that were hurt? You know, sometimes they lost their livelihood, sometimes you know, few people were even killed. Uh, innocent people were even killed in these riots. And so what about the victims? Um, you know, a lot of concern is being made for the accused and our system of justice, justice has built-in safeguards for the accused for protecting the rights of the accused so you have the fourth amendment right fifth amendment right and sixth amendment right and so on for the rights of the accused now though the system doesn't work perfectly obviously all the time but it's the best system we have and i don't think you improve the system the system by just you know turning a blind eye to crime and say well we're going to allow these crimes slide because um, too many people of such a minority group are being are committing these crimes so we're going to let these crimes slide
Um, you know, I would ask people of New York City, how has that worked when Alvin Bragg uh, lets people off of or or trans or uh, commutes a uh, uh, charge from a felony to a misdemeanor? How does that work for the safety and the well-being of New York, the people of New York City's, and the same with all of these other prosecutors? And they all seem to be. Uh, funded by George Soros or you know they're funded by organizations that are funded by George Soros um, like Bragg and basically all of these uh, prosecutors you know so you have to wonder does George Soros even care about the victims of these crimes uh, apparently he doesn't. He cares more about the people being accused or who have committed the crimes, um, but he's not really too concerned with the victims of the crimes or controlling uh, crime in these big cities. And so you have a little bit of a problem there. I think George Soros has a little bit of disconnect between his theory and reality and so that's really that's one of the things I wanted to touch upon uh, as I mentioned um, before in other uh, with regards to other incidents and, and in other podcasts the you have these uh, progressives and the leftists in their ivory towers and they have all these theories but they're not connected to reality and so all they see is to them it's just numbers on a spreadsheet you know it's just data to them they're not real people and if someone you know if a thousand businesses get uh, burnt down in some part of the country with regards to George Floyd riots um, to them you have to understand they're not real people um, they're just figures and so there's no emotional connection being made I would say to the victims in these cases it's all regarding the um, alleged perpetrators or actual sometimes actual perpetrators of these crimes and so there's a bit of disconnect where because you have and a lot of these people of course are like mega wealthy you know you have the Klaus Schwab's and all those and Al Gore's they don't they never have to pay for their the results of their bad decisions okay um, these elite leftist elitists never have to pay for their bad decisions and so if they um, want to do a trillion dollars in new spending and that causes inflation well you know if you're a multi-millionaire or a billionaire you know in the world economic forum and you know you're Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates or whatever you don't you never have to experience the pain of inflation or Biden inflation as I like to call it and so you never have to experience that and again it goes to their theory and it's not uh, you know I can't overstate it 
you are not a real person to them. You're just a figure. You're you're a part of their theory. You're a notional being. You're not an actual living, breathing human being with wants, needs, and desires. You are just somebody to be controlled with a carrot or a stick. And that's the way they look at you. And so, for instance, uh, they think it's a great idea if um, everything was wind and solar and everything ran on electric. So what do they do? They artificially increase the cost of producing natural gas and fossil fuels um, through regulation and taxation and things like that and, and burdensome uh, process and not allowing uh, permits to explore for nat natural gas and oil and things like that and build pipelines. And so you they artificially make it uh, more expensive, say for instance, to uh, own a car or buy a car or um, use natural gas or fossil fuels to fuel your home or heat your home. At the same time, they artificially decrease the price of, um, say, solar, or wind and solar, and they, and they put heavy subsidies, subsidies on wind and solar, and they extremely favor those industries. And so, in reality, you it is the case, and still is the case, that wind and solar is not really very cost effective okay you're not saying it is very costly to go wind and solar at least as it's situated right now relatively speaking fossil fuels particularly uh, natural gas very cheap um, even gasoline is cheap and fuel oil uh, relatively cheap and so what they do is they want to sell solar panels and they want to sell windmills and of course not coincidentally uh, it's their friends who are selling these solar panels and and wind turbines and stuff like that who are making a buck off of that and so the the way you have uh, the fossil fuels here at one price point and alternative uh, um, energy sources like wind and solar here and what they do is they're trying to artificially um, raise the level of the uh, fossil fuels past the point or equal to the point of of the wind and solar of the alternative um, natural fuels and or energy sources so that you're artificially creating a situation where it's now cheaper for the fossil fuels when in actuality if the prices were everything was at the actual free market rate the fossil fuels would be much cheaper and the wind and solar would be much expensive much more expensive cost prohibitive and so you have that and but the people you know that's all you think of they they think if they can raise the price of your oil 
high enough that you will switch to electric. And if you if they can raise the price of gasoline high enough, you'll switch to a Tesla or some other uh, EV electronic electric vehicle. And so that's their calculus. They're not worried about the inflation, how much more everything is going to cost, transportation costs, and all of that. And plus, now you have to buy a $50,000 vehicle rather than a $20,000 vehicle. Now you have to pay so much for wind and solar rather than a lot less you, you used to pay for fossil fuels like natural gas. And also, to them, it's just incentives. You know, you, you're, you're just something to be manipulated on a graph or a spreadsheet. And they said, that, well, we need to raise uh, fossil fuels up to this level, and then we'll get this to this level of participation in wind and solar. And they have no concern with the ordinary person, what that actually means to their lives, because they can afford an electric vehicle. They can afford a Tesla or 10 or whatever. They can afford all of the uh, solar panels and everything like that. Um, so they don't, it, it doesn't matter to them. And if the price of food and other uh, common goods go up because of transportation prices going up along with, because now you have to uh, pay more to, for that truck that's transporting the goods, for instance, um, they don't care because they have enough money. They're not going to feel the effects of their decisions. The ones who are going to feel the effects the worst are the poorest, ironically, the ones that they claim that they want to help. Of course, the poor and middle class. And it's only going to be the wealthy, you know, who can afford things like air travel, you know. And then they're going to wonder why the airline industry dies and, 10 or 15 years um, when after all they're the ones who killed it right if they continue on with increasing the price of fuel of jet fuel but they won't care because they're ideologues and because they want the control that comes with it and you know they say you know well if you you can't afford this wind and solar but if you do if you jump through this hoop and that hoop then maybe we'll send you a little help. We'll send you a few uh, bucks your way for your cooperation. So that's what they do. They have no inkling, or they, if they do, they just don't care that you're paying more for eggs and more for your gas, and it's harder to get to work, and you can't afford your, your vehicle or to gas up your vehicle, and you can no longer go on any kind of vacation or anything like that. Uh, you can't travel across country for business because a plane would become too expensive. They don't care about that because they're wealthy enough where they don't feel the effects of their decisions. So they don't matter to you. You're only a notional person on a spreadsheet to them. So, of course, there's a lot of dehumanization with regards to the left, and particularly when it comes to the idea of the climate change crisis. That's a lot of de dehumanization and anti-human
things that they're doing. They, they believe that there's too many people in the world, and if there's a few less people, that's just fine for them. So, anyway, I want to thank you for watching and listening 